Hello and welcome to Today in Space. I'm your Space Science Podcast host from the East Coast, Alex Giorfanos, and we are here to talk about space. It's an exciting month this August of 2022. We have two things kind of happening at the same time, although uh, one is slipping further into the year. We have the launch at the end of the month, the first attempt of launching Artemis 1, which is the uh, NASA's next mission uh, to go to the moon to send the first woman and the first person of color to step foot on the moon on Artemis 3. Artemis 1 is the first robotic mission where the space launch system, NASA's largest, biggest, the world's uh, most powerful rocket, will launch for the first time with the Orion capsule to do a robotic mission of uh, around the moon to basically prep and give Na- the NASA engineers working on Artemis all the info they need to tune the rocket for the mission when they eventually send human beings. So there's a lot going on there. August 29th is the first of the launch window for this period. There's August 29th, there's September 2nd, and there's September 5th. And we're planning on spending that whole week, or at least being available for that whole week, that whole launch window. Um, so there's there's a, a ton going on, a lot of prepping that I'm doing on my end, because I want to be able to go down there and live stream the launch. Uh, one of the things that I had wanted to do and I want to update you guys on is the NASA social that anyone could apply, anyone with a social media account, anyone online uh, that's interested in space. They could apply for that, and uh, I I ended up applying for that. I it was I think like the third, maybe the second day that the the actual NASA social application was available, and basically I think I was number like eighty six thousand. There there were over a hundred thousand people that applied for that NASA social. Um, I did not uh, get uh, accepted or a wait list email, but that's okay. I've been lucky enough to go twice in my career here with Today in Space, and the first one was the New Horizons mission that went to Pluto. That was uh, kind of like the first informational mission before Pluto got to, uh, New Horizons got to Pluto and did the flyby, and the second one I got to do was CRS-19, the SpaceX resupply mission to the International Space Station. That's the rocket that's launching in our intro, and That was such an amazing time. We had uh, great tours of the vehicle assembly building, of all the various launch pads. We got to see uh, the Boeing Starliner on top of the Atlas V. It was a really, really awesome experience, and I'm I'm very excited for all the people that get to go to that NASA social because it was it was an extremely small group of people that got chosen for that, and you know it's it's obviously sad. I would have loved to have been a part of that i've met some amazing people at the nasa social but the good thing is that frees me up to go around florida and to really check out all the different places that the everyday person people that don't have the access you know the the everybody else that not only applied for the nasa social and didn't get in there's going to be over two million people expected to attend this launch in person so Needless to say, the 
logistics of getting down there and finding the right place so that we can live stream that on our YouTube channel for all of you guys and for us to get like a crazy cool view of, of the launch that doesn't have the access that the NASA Social has, that, that's been basically what I'm working on. So there's a few different places I'm looking at, and I want to share those places with you as part of the content because, you know, as I was looking this up, I realized that there's really not much good content around, like, where to go watch a rocket launch. I think it's been so long since the space shuttle. all right. It's over 10 years. So trying to share that information so that if you're someone that doesn't live in an area, doesn't live near the Space Coast, but you want to go visit, whether you're from the U.S., whether you're from another country, if you want to go watch this launch, where do you go? There's not like a ton of info or there's not a place to go look at that. So we're going to we're gonna cover some of that. We're going to live stream a whole bunch of stuff and uh, ended up getting a new phone just for the uh, occasion. My old iPhone 10 was not going to make it especially if we're going to live stream this at 1080p in the middle of, let's say, a national park. <laughs> like, with 2 million people accessing LTE services or whatever, like, there's going to probably be a logistical problem for too many people trying to live stream it, for too many people on their cell phones. Like, there's going to probably be a surge problem for the amount of coverage for that launch. So I, I'm, I'm freaking out a little bit, but I'm trying to figure out the best way to try and do that. We will have my GoPro going. I found this cool 15 times view lens for the GoPro. We're going to give that a shot uh, because that will make uh, potentially even better uh, another rocket launch we can add to our intro, which is going to be amazing. More importantly, what I want to spend this month doing is really focusing on your questions. So to start this month, this first episode here, I want to lay it over to you, and I want to ask you, what do you, uh, what questions do you have about this next mission to the moon and beyond, right? Because NASA Artemis is not just about sending the first woman and the first person of color to step foot on the moon. While that's an amazing goal, and I'm really looking forward to seeing that, what happens next? That was the problem with Apollo, right? Apollo, it was this goal to beat the Russians to the moon. It was a, it was national defense. It was it was an entire nation's pride to send the best and greatest human beings that we have, the highly trained individuals, to land on the moon and come back safely. Apollo eleven, right? But that's such a great that's such a massive goal. And while the space shuttle was obviously influential majorly influential as far as space progress is concerned about reaching those dreams of what the space age thought we would be doing in the year 2022, right? Uh, like George Jetson was born this year, right? So that was one of the iconic futuristic, I mean, so many people based their whole expectation of what the future was like on these space age sci-fi films of what we thought would happen. There, there are dreams, there are goals, and then there are things that you set for yourself. Like setting what JFK did to set the goal for us to step foot on the moon was, for all intents and purposes, impossible. We were so behind with the Russians. The Russians beat us to the first uh, extra, extra vehicular activity, spacewalk. They beat us into orbit with Sputnik. They were ahead of us in almost every 
step of this race until we decided to take this Hail Mary pass to go from just orbiting the Earth to we're going to land on the moon. And that set up those engineers and those scientists and the mathematicians and all the people, men, women, of all colors, backgrounds that America had, they all worked together towards this impossible goal and they figured out a way to make that happen. After that, reusability was this amazing thing that the space shuttle tried to achieve and it it did achieve it in some senses, right? In some sense because it hadn't happened before. The space shuttle was able to, to fly, land, and then come back in for fixes. NASA at that point struggled really hard to get the space shuttle to be something that was repeatedly turn like was able to turn around and there were a lot of big ideas of how much it was actually going to cost to send stuff up because the idea with reusability why SpaceX is succeeding so far right now is that it's able to drop the price of launching stuff into space because you don't have to pay for a brand new rocket every single time so if you can recover that cost and more importantly different from the shuttle, if your turnaround costs to making that rocket fly again, if those are low, then you can keep the price for the customer low, and then the price per kilogram to send something into space goes down. That allows progress. That allows more people to do things. And we're starting to see some of that with what SpaceX is doing now. And Basically, what the space shuttle couldn't do was change that turnaround cost and that basically time from I launch to the next time I launch again, it it just didn't happen in its you know, 30, 40 year career with the space shuttle. And what we're seeing with NASA's SLS, the space launch system, uh, it is a project that was basically being developed in 2011. It's 11 years later, and we're at the point where we're getting the first launch. I don't want to harp too much on the fact, because we've done plenty of it here on the podcast, but we're at this point where NASA's NASA's reaching this, this peak of what it's been working on for the last decade. And there have been, we have to say that there have been thousands of NASA engineers and interns and people that have worked on all the various pieces of NASA's SLS. And from what I could tell online, a lot of those people are getting invited to see the launch. And I think that's great. That makes complete sense. These people have worked their careers to build this rocket launch and to send it into space. And we're getting really close to that point where with this launch window, this August 29th, September 2nd, and September 5th, The NASA Artemis mission is really interesting because the way that the Orion capsule works with its uh, expanded solar panels, that needs to be in sunlight a very specific amount of time. For all intents and purposes, there is a number. It needs to be in sunlight all the time so that it's able to, and and facing the right direction as it orbits from from the Earth to the moon, that's a specific time period where you can launch and have that capability because the crew will ideally need to have power all the time. The only way to get power up there if uh, it's not extra fuel or some fuel tanker that's coming to fill you up, uh, especially electrical power, it's got to be solar. So 
it, that is the balance that they've had to make for that spacecraft. We could go into a whole bunch of stuff. But basically, the point of me bringing that up is that if NASA doesn't launch on August 29th and it scrubs again on the 2nd, and for some reason, let's say weather, it's hurricane season in Florida, September 5th doesn't happen, then the next time that they're able to launch is October 14th or the middle of October is when the next launch window happens because that's the next time that the mission of all the mission criteria can be met, one of the major ones being the availability of solar power throughout that entire mission. So we're getting to this close point where NASA has taken 11 years to get to this point where they're finally going to launch this rocket that was supposed to launch in 2016 with the Orion capsule. We're getting to the point where this repeating thing that seems to happen a lot with, especially with the space shuttle, a lot of the disasters, one could argue, uh, both Columbia and Challenger, were the fault of rushing, were the fault of expectations being really high, scrubs being met with just media uh, vitriol and the pressure to make sure that launch happened on time was palpable, even if you weren't in mission command. So what I'm, I'm hoping happens is that, uh, ironically, we take our time <laughs> with space launch system and that NASA doesn't launch out of spec and make poor decisions because of the pressure to launch. Now, right now, it seems like the space launch system may actually launch before SpaceX's Starship does its first orbital launch. And of course, that launch is going to test whether the whether Starship and the first stage, massive first stage of Starship will lift up, Starship will go orbital, and then basically do an ocean landing off the coast of Hawaii. And that would be the first test of something that could really revolutionize space. Now, if you're new to this podcast, this is going to be good information for you. If, if you've listened to the podcast a lot, you're going to hear something I've said many, many times. What Starship is going to do that's different than anything else is change the way that we look at sending human beings through space and even traveling through space, right? Starship has the potential to hold hundreds of people, uh, really, let's just say 100 people on a mission. Even if it was 30 people and a whole bunch of supplies, that is far and beyond what anything we have currently can do. NASA's uh, SLS, the Orion capsule, is going to be able to send four people into space. So when you think about the difference about what those two technologies are going to be able to do, there are some interesting things. NASA's SLS, the most powerful rocket ever built. So one of the limitations, like the Falcon 9 that SpaceX has, is not going to be able to do what the space launch system can do. There really isn't a capability of that, of being able to send large amounts of payload, heavy, many, many, many kilograms <laughs> of material into space. 
the SLS will be able to do that. But what the Falcon 9 is doing is it's giving payloads, satellites, anything that wants to go into low Earth orbit has the ability to do so with the Falcon 9 at at a price that's never been done before. What Starship is able to do is revolutionize how we're able to travel the solar system. The Orion capsule will also be, it was built specifically to travel the solar system and allow NASA astronauts to go to places like Mars, go to places like uh, Venus and other places around the solar system in a capsule where they're able to do science. Now, one of the big things that NASA wants to do to help sustain that long-term ability of us to stay in space is to build something called the Gateway, which will be set up at the moon, basically another space station, and they'll be able to dock from there and land on the moon and come back, and that helps us set up like a highway, right, in space, where we have a place to dock, we have a place to refuel and check out systems and prepare for the next thing and really go about things more safely than we really do, especially like with Apollo 11, right? Those dudes flew that thing in manually at crazy speeds, deorbited, and landed it with very, very little knowledge (laughs) of, of what was going to happen. What the Gateway would do is would make it routine, ideally. What Starship is capable of doing is sending an entire colony of people to another planet, the surface of a planet, land, and then potentially refuel, right? They would have to figure out how to how to create fuel uh, on site, so they'd have to land where the resources are. But if they do that, then they're able to launch from the surface and come back to Earth and return. Basically, not needing all the infrastructure that you would need to travel space building this gateway, building a, a an actual colony. All of those things will need to be built up, but what Starship can do is jump and skip over all of those because the one spacecraft can do all of these things. So there was a big thing for a long time about who was going to beat who. NASA's SLS, 11 years in, is about to launch. Not a reusable rocket system. The engines that are being used on there are from the space shuttle, the RS-25s. So there's a lot of really cool iconic stuff, but it allows NASA to, it allows the world really to have a rocket that has the, the power needed to send up some really massive things that we would need to build all of these big plans and infrastructure that, that we're looking to do to have long-term sustained sustained uh, presence in space. But um, it's game time. It's game time. We're getting real close. I'm getting super excited, and I've, I've reached out to a bunch of you, and I want you guys to reach out to me. If One, if you're able to go down to Florida and visit, because I'm going to try and um, set up some kind of meetup and, and see as, much, as many people as I can. I know I'll be setting up uh, and checking out the locations, like in Playa Linda, and places where we'll be able to launch the weekend before on that Monday, August 29th. Um, but if you're going, hit me up. I, I, I want to know if you're, if you're not, make sure that you follow us, that you subscribe, that you're ready for those live streams. We will live stream a lot during that week. So make sure to look for that. Follow us today in space. 
Pod on Instagram, Today in Space on TikTok, uh, Today in Space Podcast on Facebook. And of course, you can email us at todayinspacepodcast at gmail.com. And what this whole episode is to set up is what questions do you have for this kind of next stage of where we're going with things? What excites you about NASA's SLS and Orion and the return to the moon? Do you think that's a great idea? Do you do you think that's not the right way to do it? Uh, what would you excite? Would you go to the moon if this was a regular thing? If they were regular, like a like a plane flight, if you could buy buy a plane ticket to the moon, would you do it? And would you be willing to put in the work for us to get to that point? Right, space is advancing at such a crazy speed right now. There was a uh, an article by Michael Sheets, who's a reporter for CNBC. Uh, he tweets at the Sheets tweets. If you want to follow him, he's really great. There's an article from July 27th that's talking about the space economy and how it's grown its fastest rate in years to $469 billion in 2021. And basically goes over how much momentum the space program really has right now. And you know, we've talked about this before, for for whatever reason, there seems to be this uh, amazing space progress that also simultaneously happens while there are around the world in, in economies and, and wars, there's all this crazy stuff going on, this space conundrum. Um, but I don't overthink that. I just know that the last time that happened, there were some pretty spectacular things that changed the way that all of us looked at things. You think, talk to anybody who watched the moon landing the first time, Apollo 11, on that black and white screen TV. On Everyone huddled around the radio, huddled around the TV, and watch how their eyes light up. I think we are at the precipice of another thing like that. And while history will certainly play out and we will find out what will happen here in the future, the cards are being played right now as far as who's going to launch first. It seems like right now NASA's SLS is in the lead. And of course, I really hope that my week in Florida is spent uh, in success getting to watch this launch. But, you know, if the launch window uh, closes and we're not able to send it out there. It's going to be uh, interesting to see what happens with NASA's SpaceX. Uh, sorry, SpaceX's Starship. Because uh, the other thing too is for the first woman and the first person of color step foot on the moon, it requires the human landing system. The human landing system contract was given to SpaceX for their Starship. So what's going to happen is NASA's SLS is going to launch the Orion capsule. The Orion capsule will then meet up with Starship, and then those will travel together to the moon, and then Starship will undock from Orion and land on the moon, and then come back up, attach with Orion like Apollo, come back home, and then land back on Earth. So that's the that is what's happening. So when we talk about the race and who's going to win first, 
ultimately, they both need to succeed for this to happen because without the human landing system, Orion is just a capsule. Orion doesn't have the ability to land on the moon. So this really is like the early Mercury Gemini days where we're watching the development of what will eventually become the Apollo program. And there's a lot to be excited about, including Polaris Dawn, which is the privately funded SpaceX uh, Jared Isaacman missions where they're going to prove out basically all the technology that SpaceX is developing like NASA did back in the Apollo era, um, or I should say Mercury Gemini days, for the eventual mission of, in this case with SpaceX, being multiplanetary, landing on the moon, going to Mars. Jared Isaacman and SpaceX are helping fund a lot of that research. And of course, Jared being the person that he is, is putting together a team to do that and he's able to kind of spearhead this mission as a leader and work with the brilliant people over at SpaceX to make that happen. So all of these things while there's a lot of you know uh people getting into arguments over who's going to land first, who's going to launch first, is it SpaceX, is it NASA? At the end of the day, they all need to succeed because they're all intertwined in the success of making life interplanetary. And I think that's kind of the lesson we have nowadays, which is that (laughs) we all need to start working more together than fighting with each other. But that's for another podcast. Um, That's all we got for space today. But I did want to show a little AG3D update, uh, which is our 3D printing lab that brings our ideas into reality, like our James Webb Space Telescope, which we showed off on the last episode. This was our first attempt at that print. Um, and this is our redesign of that model. And the idea here, if you take a look, the sunshield sheets, as you can see on the original model, very floppy. Very, very floppy. They weren't as supported. They're basically full, thin sheets across, and it was printed like this out of a vat. Um, So what I wanted to do was reinforce those sheets. And you can actually see the darker areas on the inside of these sun shields are actually these geometries I put in there to kind of like reinforce it. Kind of like a kite, basically, is, is what I did there. And you can see the sheets are fully formed. They're not wobbling around. And the amazing thing is like the quality of this part really increased tremendously compared to this part. So it's as far as I'm learning with resin 3D printing and learning this new technology, you know, uh, there the support is so important. And I know that's stupidly obvious when you are a 3D printing person, Um, supports are everything unless your design doesn't have any supports. But the resin is so different from just the regular uh, FDM plastic that most people have in like their schools, right? Where it's like a nozzle and it's printing the first layer and it builds all the way up. This technology is really something else. Um, but V2, JWST, James Webb Space Telescope, looking pretty good. Eventually we'll go on our Etsy store at ag3dprinting.etsy.com. Uh, a really cool thing for your desk. Um, for you to just have with you at all times, obviously. But um, 
something that we, I think, eventually are going to see if NASA uh, would be interested in like having it on their website as a more 3D printable vial of JWST. And if that's not the case, then we'll find a way to put it up uh, online somewhere else so uh, that people, especially people in schools, kids that are printing at home, we want to be able to let them like we do here on the podcast. There's so much more that you get out of talking and learning about space technology, right? It's so complicated, but if you have it in your hands, if you can see it and try to understand it better, it's there's a better chance that it's going to make more sense. And that's the beauty of 3D printing and why we do it here, why we uh, we make these models so that we can further uh, communicate science in simpler ways, but not like cutting our knees under how complex everything is. So that's it for this week. Thank you for joining us for the podcast. Uh, make sure that you are good to yourself and others. Spread love, spread science. And we'll see you for another episode of Today in Space. It's Artemis Month, so we'll be talking more about that. Send in your questions. We'll answer them on the podcast. Until then, have a good one.